We begin with some fascinating agada. It's related to the Biose in our Mishnah. Our Mishnah was asked, wondering what is called inui nefesh, uh, affliction, uh, such that a husband can annul the, his wife's vow if it causes her uh, some major affliction. We saw Machloket. Tanakama says if she says, I'm not going to bathe, then that's called an affliction and he, the husband can annul it. The Biose, however, said, not bathing is not an affliction, right? Some people don't mind not bathing. Just ask little kids. They hate taking a shower, taking a bath. And therefore, the Biyoseh says, has a higher bar. He says, only if she says, I'm not going to eat any fruit, that's called an affliction. But bathing is not an affliction. We wondered, because there is a contradiction. The Biyoseh also said that um, if you have limited water, and my city, we have, an, we have uh, water that we're going to use for laundry. And in your city, you don't even have enough water to drink. I don't have to share my water with you because get having clean clothing, laundry is just as important as life itself. And uh, that's how important it is. So that we wondered, how could it be able to say that having clean laundry is so important or trumps other people's lives, but not washing yourself, oh, that's not a big deal. And we answered, yes, in fact, he does say that. Um, if a person doesn't bathe, yeah, well, they'll get boils and sores, but they can get better from that. On the other hand, if someone has not, uh, unclean clothing, that leads to madness. And that is uh, much worse. All right, that's where we left off. And so we're going to pick up on the same theme. Shalchumitam. So from Eretz Yisrael, I sent a message to Bavel with some advice. Uh, you should be careful regarding Arbubita, grime, right? That's what we said. Arbubita, uh, it's if it's on the head, if it's on the clothing, it leads, it leads to madness. So uh, um, a dirt is very bad. Be careful with that. Also, be careful with the company that you associate with yourself. Make sure you're um, hanging around good people. That will be a good influence. Another interpretation is that maybe make sure that when you learn Torah, learn it with a with company. Don't learn on your own. Go get a chavruta, a chavra, a bunch of people to learn together. And also, be careful of the sons of poor people because they, Torah will come forth from them. We learned this from Basuk uh, that says, which literally means that water will, fro, will flow from its wells in, in buckets. Uh, um, Deli is a bucket or from its branches. Um, and uh, referring to, uh, this is the blessings of, of uh, Bil'am. So it could be literally water, but we interpret it here as mi dal. Dal means a poor person. That poor people, they end up often being the greatest sages. Uh, Torah comes from them, uh, perhaps because they uh, don't spend time dealing with material things, so they appreciate and focus more on intellectual, spiritual matters, and so they often end up becoming the great sages. Therefore, be careful with them. Give them respect. Give them the support that they need. Now, since we brought up the topic of 
who becomes future sages, we said often it comes from the poor, we wonder how come often Torah scholars, their children are not Torah scholars. Sometimes they are, but often they are not. Why not? Amar Rav Yosef, Shelo Yomeru Torah Yerushahi Lahem. Rav Yosef says this is on purpose, it's directed from heaven, so that people will not say that the Torah is an inheritance. Torah belongs to everyone. It's a meritocracy. Anyone who wants to come and learn can learn. And it doesn't matter whether their father or their grandfather was the greatest rabbi. Um, everybody has to earn it on their own. So if it went in succession, like a, you know, uh, like a monarchy, they would say, oh, this is their thing. They, they get the Torah, like, like uh, Kohanim. But no, that's not true. It's actually purposefully better that a son not necessarily be the next rabbi, and uh, so that everyone knows it's not based on an inheritance, it's earned by everyone. The following two are similar, but there's an important difference between them. Rav Yosef says, uh, Rav Yosef says, it's so that they um, will not uh, push themselves, uh, make themselves higher, uh, be presumptuous towards the community. In other words, if the sons say, oh, we're going to be the, the next uh, rabbis here, we're the next ones, so then they'll uh, put the community down and uh, they'll assume a higher status, lord it over people. And so everybody earn it. When you earn it yourself, then uh, you, um, you appreciate what goes into becoming a leader better. When you just inherit leadership, uh, then you uh, are presumptuous about it and it uh, goes to your head. Mozutra said, no, it's, uh, it's actually because of the, say, the fathers, the sages themselves, um, because they lord it over the community. If they do, that's why their sons don't get to be, be to be sages, right? When um, it's similar to the next one, Rav Mishum Dekaru Hamare. You know what does the, the the Torah scholars do? They look around. They call people donkeys because they're not so learned. So they call they they make fun of them, call them donkeys. So what happens as, as a result of that? Their own sons are not are not Torah scholars. So then they'll have more compassion. They'll be more understanding. It's not easy for everyone to become a great Torah scholar. And so if they, uh, if, the, if, if a rabbi um, uh, lords it over the community and says, oh, see, I'm so great. And then his sons would also be Torah scholars. He says, see, I, I could do it, right? Uh, it belongs to us. It's inherited in my family. You're all chamorim. And so now we say, no, You're, a person's sons are, Torah scholar's sons are often not sages to lower that person's ego and appreciate everybody on their level. Ravina Omer, Shen Mevarachin Torah Batorah Techila. Ravina says a different reason why, how come Torah scholars' sons do not become Torah scholars themselves? Because those fathers do not bless the blessings of the Torah before beginning to study Torah. Pasuk in Yirmiyah that asks, who can understand this? By this they mean, uh, we can see it in context, um, why is the land ruins and, and desolate? Well, what caused all this? And Hashem answers, because the people uh, forsook my Torah. 
And also, they did not follow my uh, my words. So you see, it says two things, right? They left the Torah and they did not follow God's voice. Uh, but you notice that Hashem has to answer. So that's what the Midrash, my Midrash is on. So they asked the Chamim, the Nevi'im, they didn't know until only Hashem knew the answer and is the answer we ask how come Hashem said two things that they forsook the Torah and they did not obey Hashem's voice isn't that the same thing isn't that the same thing as that they didn't follow the Torah Right, it also says here it's actually three things and so isn't they left the Torah they didn't listen to his voice they didn't follow it right isn't that the same thing now we answer, Forsaking the Torah, that means that they, they, did, they actually did study Torah. We're talking about the, the Torah scholars. Yes, they studied Torah, but without saying a blessing first. What does that mean? Does that mean literally that they didn't say, Birkota Torah in the morning? Could be, uh, it could be that they did say Berkota Torah in the morning, um, as Maharal explains, that they uh, considered the Torah to be just an intellectual academic exercise and did not recognize its spiritual uh, value. They did, they weren't thanking Hashem for it, saying this is Hashem's instruction. This is something. This is something that should affect me personally. And increase Mayirat Shamaim, and so they were doing it in um, an egotistic manner. And that's why, even though they were Torah scholars, their sons did not um, did not be, do not become Torah scholars. Which would mean that if a person is sincere and full full uh, uh, um, as Yirat Shamayim um, is uh, recognizing the spiritual value, not only the intellectual value of Torah, then the, um, then that person's uh, cho- sons children will be inspired and very well, um, hopefully will be Torah scholars as well. Okay. Now back to the Biyose, we were talking about, who we were talking about before, Isi Bar Yehuda, uh, who was also a Tana, a next generation Tana, he did not come to the yeshiva of the Biyose for three days. Vardimus So the says son Vardimus, interesting name. Sounds like a pretty Greek name. Um we're just speaking about right sons of, of sages. Uh, we don't know much about him. Anyway, Amale Well anyway, this son of Biose certainly was in the Bet Midrash, so we'll we'll speak well of him. And he was checking up on the students. And so Vardimos, the son of Biose, asked Isi, How come you didn't come to the, my father's Bet Midrash in three days? Where have you been? Isi said, I don't understand the reasoning of your father so how can I come I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm scratching my head I can't I have uh, I have some questions and um, until I answer those questions I don't feel like I can come and learn the next thing I'm still stuck on the, the thing he said three days ago so Vadimus says okay t- tell me your question maybe I can give you the reason for it it refers to that statement which was at the end of the daf yesterday that says that a laundry of one city is more important than the lives of the people in the other city right if my city we have enough water for laundry, but you don't have enough water to drink, we get to keep our water so we can do our laundry because laundry is more important 
than life itself. So what's the, I understand the concept, but what's the pasuk? Where does he learn it from? That's what I'm wondering. And I couldn't come back to the Bet Midrash until I answered that. And sure enough, Vardimos knows the, knows the answer. Look at that. Vardimos is a, is, is a Tamid Chacham, the son of Rabbi Yosef. Okay, so that speaks very well of both of them. Uh, this is a pasuk that's talking about the cities of the Leviim. They, the Leviim do not get a share of the land of Israel uh, as a Shevet. However, they do get their cities, and around the cities they get some, some land for pasture. So the cities is where they would dwell. And uh, the outskirts. That will be pasture for their cattle and for their beasts. So notice it says Behemtam and Chayatam. So this is the pasuk we're going to learn it from. How? What does it mean Chayatam? Is it talking about animals, right? Uh, wild animals, non-domesticated? Well, that's included in behema. You just have to say behema. This is pasture for all of their livestock. You don't have to say, uh, you know, you can, uh, that could be included in behema. Ela mai chayatam, chayutam amash, pishita. But rather, what does chayim mean literally? Their lives, that they live in the land? Isn't that obvious? They got this, these cities so that they can live there, right? They can, whatever they want need to do on that land, they, that's where they live. So you wouldn't have to say so that they live. Rather, it means that they get this land, this extra land, so that they can do their laundry there and put out their laundry. Um, be, why, is it so, why is that so important? Because otherwise... Um, they'll get all dirty. And we saw the dangers of having dirty clothing, at least to disease and, and um, madness and terrible things. And so, when this, what to, how, how does the Pasuk refer to laundry? Obviously, it's laundry. It refers to it as chayatam, their lives. And that's how we know that having clean clothing is as important as life, right? It's essential to life. And that's, that's the Pasuk from, from which we can derive what Rabbi Yosef taught, that um, my laundry takes precedence over your life. Okay. Okay, that ends the Agadah. And now we're going to go back to Rabbi Yosef, and who said that uh, he doesn't think that not washing about your body is considered affliction. Um, he rather only if it has to do with like not eating fruit. Question. Okay, we understand the Biose that you think that not washing is not called affliction, so the husband cannot nullify his wife's vow as a, as a, as, a, as a, an affliction. Le'anot nafesh, as the pasuk said. But what about the other category? Doesn't the Biose agree that a husband can annul his wife's vows if they affect their relationship? Presumably, he does agree in general with that. And so would he agree that her not washing, even if it's not an affliction, I don't know, she doesn't feel like washing, but wouldn't that affect their relationship? Can't a husband say, hey, you stink, right? And I can't live with you like this. And therefore, I'm going to annul your vow. Would the Biosei permit the husband to annul his wife's vow? Although there would be a difference because then it only if it's, it affects him. Whereas affliction, even if it doesn't affect him, 
um, will still be permitted. But uh, so that's the question. Tashema, Amar Biyose, and Elu Nidre Inui Nefesh, Aval Devarim Shebeno Ubebena Havyan. Oh, maybe we can learn it from the language of the Mishnah itself. Notice that when Rabbi Yosei was responding to Chachamim, he said, this, not washing, is not considered affliction. We can derive from that, infer from that, that um, it's not a problem of affliction, but it is a problem of matters of their relationship. So can we presume that that's what he meant to say? And therefore, yes, he can annul it. No, not necessarily. Maybe the Beose was only saying that that kind of phraseology because he was responding to the Rabbanan. Maybe the Beose says, according to me, I don't think that washing is an affliction. I don't even. I don't think it's even a matter of their uh, neither. I don't think it's a matter of their a problem of their relationship. I don't think so. The husband cannot. Uh, but according to you, because you say it is a problem of affliction, I think you should agree with me that it doesn't rise to the level of affliction. So therefore, the Biyoseb, when he says, I don't think that washing is affliction, he doesn't mean to imply that it is a problem of relationship. He, he just, the rabbi said before that, it's a problem of affliction. He said, no, I don't think it's a rabbi, it's a problem of affliction. I don't think it's a problem of relationship either. I don't think it's any problem. So we cannot derive an answer from the Mishnah. So my, what is the answer? According to the Biyosei, can a husband annul his wife's vow who says she's not going to wash because that will affect their relationship? Okay, we're going to end up answering yes, that the Biyosei says he can, but uh, this uh, is going to require uh, a long proof. Now the subject to a machloket. says yes, according to the Biyosei, you can. Ravuna says no, he cannot. It's not affliction, and it does not affect their relationship. Right? Her not washing is her problem. She doesn't feel like washing. It's not his problem. Um, now, we're gonna, why, what's the reason for Rav Huna? Should, that, that would not be a problem, right? So, doesn't it sound like it would be a problem? No. We're using an analogy. We never find a fox dying who dies in the earth of its own lair. In other words, a fox, they are very good at digging, and they dig these holes in the ground, and they live there. Now, the dirt that's in there from just dirt and from whatever uh, food and stuff that they produce uh, that's in the lair. So it's going to be dirty in there. They're living there for a while. There's nobody coming to, there's no housekeeping. Uh, but the fox gets used to it and he's fine with the, the, the natural dirt that is uh, that is there. And it's not going to bother, it's not going to bother the fox. That's the analogy. The nimshal is that a man loves his wife and even if she doesn't wash and she smells, that's her smell. He gets used to it. He likes her smell. And uh, no one uh, is, that's not what, will not affect their relationship and that's okay all right is that true i don't know um but anyway that is rav huna's opinion um not bathing will not affect the husband and wife's relationship all right but now we're going to prove that rav Adab we have a proof for him that yes it will affect the relationship and he can tanya kivated rav Adabarava, we have a braita on his side it's a long Braita, but we're going to prove it at the end. Um, Braita says that when there are matters of affliction, 
um, uh, that she says she makes a vow that she, that causes her affliction. The husband can annul it. Ben ben bena ben ben bena chedim, and it doesn't matter whether it affects his relationship with his wife or her relationship with other people. He doesn't even have to be a direct uh, directly involved. He can watch, look out for her uh, overstepping in a in a fit of uh, of anger or passion, making a vow that will cause her affliction. The husband can undo it. But if there is no affliction, then he can only undo it if it will affect the relationship between the husband and wife, and not if it affects the relationship between the wife and other people. What's an example? If she says, I'm not going to have fruit, then he can undo it, because that's affliction. The following things have nothing to do with affliction. They have to do with her relationship with others. She says, I am not going to do anything that will benefit the mouth of father. My father, her, meaning her father, or your brother, the husband's brother, or your father, meaning her father-in-law, um, or my brother. So she says, I'm not going to benefit all these people. I'm not cooking for them. I'm not giving them anything. Um, even though that will affect their, the relationship between her and her father or brother or father-in-law or brother-in-law, but that won't affect the, the husband's relationship. Now, it could very well be that the husband um, uh, is, does uh, um, indirectly benefit from if she feeds her father-in-law, then the husband doesn't have to go and do it himself because that's his, really his obligation of kibbut av. So it's true, by her stopping to do that, that will may, may place um, a, more, a bigger burden on him to do it. Nevertheless, it's not directly about their relationship, so therefore he has no right to annul. Um, or if she says, I'm not giving food to your animals. Uh, normally before that, she did as a favor. She helped out and, uh, and fed his animals or water. Um, for her, for his cattle, she says, "I'm not going to do that." He cannot nullify that vow because it uh, it affects her relationship with others, not directly the husband and wife relationship. But if she says, "Shelo echol, v'shelo efkos, shelo eshamesh mitati yafer mishum devarim shebeno lebenam," but if she says, "I'm not going to put on eyeshadow, I'm not going to put uh, makeup on my cheeks." I'm not going to use the bed, meaning I'm not going to engage in marital relations with you. That directly affects their relationship, right? You see, they're putting on makeup mostly for their husbands. Um, uh, um, and so by not doing that, that will affect, she, he said, husband says, no, this is going to affect my relationship. There's no good. So that he can annul. Now, more examples. The Brayta continues. If she says, I'm not going to make your bed, and I'm not going to pour a cup, I'm not going to mix the wine and water for you and, and serve you wine. I'm not going to wash your face, hands, and feet. In that case, not all, not all, not in that case, the husband does not even have to annul the vow. It doesn't take effect in the, in the first place. As we saw back in Masechet Ketubot, there are certain basic things that a wife does for a husband. A lot of things a husband has to do for his wife also. He has to take care of her, take care of the finances, pay for everything. And, but these are basic uh, thing matters of intimacy that show um, a wife's love, and she has to do these things, make the bed, 
serve him wine and wash his hands and feet and face. And so these, because they are obligations within the Kituba, she already obligated herself. When she makes a vow against them, the vow does not even apply, and therefore the husband need not even annul them. Okay, now, that, that was all a bunch of cases. Now we have Rabban Gamliel Omer, Yafer. Rabban Gamliel disagrees with the last case and says, even though the, the, the last set of vows does not take effect, um, it, nevertheless, the husband should still nullify them. Why? Because it said, the Pasuk regarding nullifying vows says, um, he shall not profane his word. Now, his word, we're understanding here to mean a person's regular words, even though they don't make, an, uh, make, um, make a vow, nevertheless, someone should not profane them and violate a vow. Even if her, her, in this case, she says, I'm not going to make the bed, even though it doesn't turn into a vow, so it's just her plain old words, still not a good idea, it's not a good habit for people to go and be saying things that I'm not going to do this, and then they violate their word. Even if it's not a vow, it's not proper. Therefore, a husband should annul it, even though it's not, um, uh, it's not, it doesn't actually create a vow. Uh, so that's machlok. Once we quote this pasuk, we're going to quote another point of it, another thing we learned from it. Since it says, he shall not profane his word, we learn from here that a person cannot undo his own vow. Even a chacham, even though he's he knows all the laws uh, better than anybody else, and the chacham is undoing everybody, dissolving everybody else's vows. Lo yechil devaro, he cannot undo his dissolve his own vow. The chacham will have to go to someone else, right? Like a barber can't give himself a haircut. Man shaminan deamat. That was the whole beraita. Now we're going to finally get to the proof that Rabbi Yosef says yes, a husband can annul the vows of a wife if they affect their relationship. Who is the author that would say, who teaches, uh, who says that not putting on makeup is a matter that, that affects their relationships? That That's only to be Yosef. Remember, because Chachamim say that not adorning herself, which includes makeup, um, that was something of affliction. And since it was a matter of affliction, that then a husband can undo his wife's vow if she says, I'm not going to put on makeup, no matter what, even if it doesn't affect their relationship. That's the broader category. And but in this paraita, it said as an example, what kesad, what is an example of uh, something that will affect their relationship? And it explains, oh, then he can, because that is devarim shebeno lebena. So that clearly is not chachamim, it is only rabbi yoseh. Now that we prove that this whole Braita is Rabbi Yoseh, um, and yet the Braita says that the husband can annul a vow when she says, I'm not going to put on makeup. He can annul the vow, not because it's a problem of affliction, but rather because it's a problem of their relationship. And that, therefore, we, we uh, proved, we supported Avada Barahava's uh, response that, yes, he can un- annul it. Okay, good. So now that we proved that, we want to mention something in the Braita. Go back to it. Amar Mor, said, if she says, I'm not going to use the bed, uh, she refuses to have uh, marital intimacy, then he can undo it because that is something that affects their relationship. We ask, what exact language does, does she use? If she says, the benefit 
of being with me is prohibited to you, well then he doesn't need to annul it because like just like if she says, I'm not going to make the bed, I'm not going to serve you wine, she can't, uh, she can't go against her uh, own ketubah obligation. And so if she says it in that way, that she puts the obligation on, uh, the prohibition on him, you cannot benefit, he doesn't even have to undo it. But yet the Bebraita says that he undoes it. Ha mishubedet le, right? She is obligated to him. Ela alai Rather, this clause of the Mishnah, when it says that when she refuses intimacy, he has to annul it, that's only if it's a case where she puts the prohibition upon herself. And she says the benefit of, of, of relations is prohibited to me. So because she, that vow does apply because by the, by the standards of the Ketubah, she has to, um, uh, she, she's obligated to have relations with him. So she can't prohibit him. But she doesn't have to um, enjoy it she doesn't have to benefit from it, so she can make a vow saying, I'm not going to benefit from it. So therefore, since she can't, that vow does apply because it's not directly against the Ketubah, even though it will prevent them from having relations, which will end up being a problem. But, um, but uh, so, it is, it, so it is something that causes a problem um, in their relationship, Benola um, Bena, but um, it uh, it still does apply because it's not in direct contradiction to the Ketubah. Therefore, the husband does have to annul it. And what did Rav Kana say? This distinction between her exact language was already said by Rav Kana that if she says, the benefit of uh, relations with me is permitted to you, then that vow does not apply at all, and she is ab- ab- obligated, and he can call upon that obligation, and, uh, um, and, uh, um, and she has to have relations. Um, uh, it says kofa, she forces him. I mean, not physically. There is a kind of, the Talmud does understand, does have a concept of marital rape, but um, it will be it will be grounds for divorce if she does. Um, but if she says the benefit is prohibited to me, then that vow does apply. Yet he does. He, yet he should, and he uh, he he should annul it uh, because. Um, a person you cannot feed a person something that he is prohibited to. If a person says, "I prohibit myself from eating meat," then you can't feed the person meat because that would be causing them to violate a prohibition that they said that they made, and that's why uh, the husband must annul that vow. Okay, mantana hadetanya isur. Um, also, going back to something we've seen, uh, we've seen above about Lo Yachel Devaro and the Bangam Liel, we're going to ask, who is the author of this Baraita? The Baraita says that if there are things that are actually permitted, but there's some group of people that have a custom to be stringent about it, right? Uh, for whatever reason, they think it's prohibited, and so they're 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 not doing it. Now you come to the person's house, right? A person has he follows some some kind of uh, stringency, and you see doing them doing that, and you know it's really permitted. 
you should not tell them that it's permitted, right? Don't do it in a permitted way. And even though it's permitted, don't do that and tell them it's permitted um, uh, the, and, and nullify their stringency. Why? Because it says, Lo yachel Even if something is just devado, it's his own word. It's not, it's not from the letter of the law. It's not necessary. Nevertheless, you shouldn't profane it because this is something that they're keeping. And if you tell them, don't do that, then they're going to say, oh, I've been doing this for years. What else? So maybe I don't have to do this and the next thing. And so, right, once they're keeping something, let, it, uh, let them follow their stringency if they don't know better. That's one opinion. Now, the is not relevant to here. Just like before, we just bring, bring it up because we happen to mention it. Once again, you cannot undo, you cannot profane your own words. Even if you're a great sage, you have to go to someone else. Okay, forget that. We're asking about the, the, the first one. Mane, who is the opinion that says, even if something does not actually make, is not actually prohibited, nevertheless, you should not uh, un, you you should not violate though you should not tell them that they can violate. Who would agree with this? It's actually Rabangam Liel. He is Rabangam Liel because he said a similar concept before. The concept before was when a woman says, "I'm not going to make the bed serve you wine," even though that does not create a prohibition. So there is no prohibition. Nevertheless, the husband should annul that those words so that the person does not profane something that they said even though it's not it's not a vow even saying something you should not profane it without nullification and so therefore nullify it and that's why that way they're not profaning those words that's a similar concept to people who are doing astringency even though it's not the letter of the law and they don't have to but a person should not uh, 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 profane even their own words even their own stringency and uh, therefore, um, uh, you know, without some kind of process of uh, maybe hatara, because they're used to doing that, um, uh, you should not uh, simply profane um, uh, a word that uh, someone takes upon himself. Baruch Adonai Amen v'Amen.